You're listening to Happy and Holy. I'm your host, Kate Boyd. I'm an author and Bible teacher who's making space in the church for Christians caught in the messy middle between conservative and progressive, between loving the church and leaving it. We love Jesus, love people, and work with God and each other for a better world. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we are actually taking a pause from digging into the text for a special bonus episode about having an untidy faith. I'm joined by Pastor Trey Ferguson for a conversation about the Bible, global Christianity, and the courage to change your mind when everyone wants you to conform. Can't wait to get into it with you. Let's go. Welcome, everybody. It's a special episode of Happy and Holy because today we're talking about my book, An Untidy Faith. And I have a special guest with me today. Trey Ferguson um, is here. And I invited him on because he actually wrote the foreword for the book, which I'm really excited about. I haven't even gotten to see it yet. So I'm really excited to to see it when it comes out. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, it's a big secret. And so um, I thought it would be interesting because I don't just want to talk about the book. So I wanted someone to come on and ask whatever is on their minds having read it. And so that's why Trey's here. So welcome. Thank you for having me, first and foremost. I am not only honored by your invitation uh, to the Happy and Holy podcast for the second time, uh, but I am honored that you would even consider having uh, my words introduce yours uh, in in your your debut book. Um, I don't take that honor lightly at all. I am greatly humbled by the confidence and the respect that you've shown in and for me in, in doing so. So thank you, Kate, in, in a major way. Yeah, no, thank you. It's funny because now if you look at the Amazon listing, you're listed as an author. So you co-wrote oh, the shoot. Me, apparently. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I got to go. I got to go try that out. Oh, man. I got to tell my kids. They like Googling me. Um, like, nah, you gotta, I'm, I don't level it up. You got to Amazon right, me now. You're baby. there. You're yeah. now. Don't talk to me like I'm regular. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, most definitely. All right. So in untidy faith, let's get into this because I yeah. am excited. Um, one thing that made me nervous about this book, right, is that I feel as though a lot of conversations around what a lot of people are calling deconstruction of faith, right, mm-hmm. are centered around white people and white thoughts. And one of the things that I really appreciated about this book is that you approach this from your exposure to other cultures. Like it's rooted in you touching on on people who did not experience life the same way that you did. Mm -hmm. And you even landed on a term because there's some people, like even when they see the word deconstruction, they automatically, the mind takes it that way. You didn't really use that word too often. You used Mm -hmm. another word, right? Let's go ahead. Can, can, can you share with the people what the word is real quick? Or is that? Yeah, is that, is I, use, that I use disentangling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can we explore how you landed there? Because that, that's really fascinating. Sure. I love that. So I I talk now about deconstruction in the sense of like, I, I sort of had the luxury of deconstructing before everything sort of blew up in the last few years. So for me, I really got an opportunity to sort of like deal with the like, to really sort of like take it slow and deal with like the theology before all the social upheaval happened to me. So I think for me, it's probably a little bit easier to separate out than for a lot of people who are maybe experiencing it now. Right. But I sort of came up with disentangling because I part of it is reactionary in the sense of over the last few years, there's obviously been a lot of discussion 
um, about the term and about what it means and what it looks like. And, and it was either a lot of people who had gone through quote unquote deconstruction either went further, maybe down like the line than I, than I had in a lot of ways, um, for lack of a better word, more progressive in whatever that is. And then other people were reacting against like deconstruction is bad. It's terrible. Like that just means that they didn't love Jesus in the first place or they don't understand or they just want to sin, right? There's like all these reasons. And I sort of was, and I was playing with this idea because I just sort of realized that it wasn't so much that, because even my shifts aren't all that big. Like, and you've read the book, you can see them. They're, I think the implications are bigger maybe than the actual like belief shifts that I went through. Right. I just sort of realized that I wasn't necessarily ready to quit on the whole thing or to maybe go and like blow up everything. But what I did want to do is see what was Christian and what was culture. And Christian is even a fraught term in the sense of it's cultural wherever it is. So I, what I sort of realized was that I had to sort of like pick at it. And originally I said untangling, but then I used some other terms and I needed it to be, you know, alliterated, obviously, um, <laughs> yeah. with my with my other options. And so, yeah, it was just sort of a a realization that I had that it was like I didn't realize how much of what I thought was essential or what I believed that actually wasn't like the necessary essential parts. And so I wanted to come up with a word that felt like it was about separating those things instead of just throwing it all out. Yeah, I think you did a good job with that because even when you speak of the word giving an image, right? If you think of deconstruction, what might what that might evoke for some people is the idea that there is this edifice, this uh, to talk about the book, this tidy edifice that that is neatly constructed and we're taking it apart just for the sake of it, which I don't know is the case for too many people. Well, I'm sure there's there's a whole lot of people that that is their journey. That's their story. But for a whole lot of people, what I like about detangling is that the image it portrays is that wait, there, there's, there's a bit of a mess here. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get used to messes. Right. I, we have. We're a two-car family in my house because not because we hate the environment, just out of necessity. But one car is typically where we'll put most of the kids, like when we travel as a family. Mm-hmm. And that car, like wherever the kids spend the most time tends to be the mess of your car. And we don't even think about it after a while because yeah. that is just the story that we carry with us. We drive around. We become blind to the mess, right? And what disentangling, what that looks like to me in, in my mind when I hear that word is like, oh, there's this thing. What what happens if we try to sort this, if we try to clean this up and and, and really trace out what goes where here? And I, I appreciate the intentionality that you brought to naming um, this process that you go through and this process that you're walking us through. And because I think it's really it's really a journey. Like you said, like you said, out and, and you have the whole passport illustration. It's so mm-hmm. amazing because you brought in such a wide perspective, and and in so many parts of your story along the way. So one of the things I'm curious about is at what point in the journey, reflecting on all of these recollections, did you recognize that you had this story to share with the world? So 
The book that I originally was trying to pitch to people actually came up because of the pandemic. And I was really frustrated with the way people were talking about church online and how it's not real and all these other things. And just sort of like thinking about the form of church as the function of church. And so that really bugged me, especially having been in contexts in which the ways that we tend to worship don't actually translate, right? Or they're impossible because it's actually physically dangerous for them. Or literally the only people that they know to worship with are the people in their house. And so what does it say about us and what how we worship to devalue the experience that is actually normative in a lot of places? And whether that's online facilitated, whatever. I'm also like, I think you and I both share a very low church. <laughs> um, <laughs> like approach and part of that is because of this like where there are no ordained ministers and priests and all of these things or access to all of these elements and resources you know if our faith works one place it has to work everywhere and that can look a bunch of different ways and I'm really open to the flexibility of what that looks like and so that was sort of the book that I was going to write first was just this like I want to share the stories of the people that I've worshipped with or witnessed and help people sort of like expand their thinking of what the church is and can be and what it can look like. Because I think especially at that time, it wasn't just because we were going to talk about, you know, what it looks like in a pandemic. But also at that point is when a lot of other stuff started blowing up for people and people were leaving their churches left and right. And I was like, oh, this is for them, too. So they know that there is a way to have community and worship and like be church without having to be attached to these things. And then sort of as we went through the process of, you know, cleaning up proposals and even just sort of like listening as I was, you know, very online, like all of us were in the the early days of the pandemic, it became really clear that there maybe is something else to talk about to sort of add on to that. So I would say like the second half of the book does focus on a lot of those themes that I probably would have built out a little more in the other one. But the first half of the book also addresses some of the other concerns that we sort of have or the issues that we're seeing pop up now, like, you know, kingdom talk and, you know, end times talk and all of these different things that are sort right. of in the ether that are affecting a lot of what we're actually seeing play out now here in America and people trying to figure out where that comes from, what that means, how they're supposed to deal with it. So sort of it became an invitation as I was as these people started sort of like listening or I was even having conversations, I kind of realized that I had because I had deconstructed or disentangled or started that process so much earlier, I had a lot of like vocabulary and experience that's a little bit further down the line that might have been helpful. And so that's sort of when the idea expanded to how do we then let these other people's stories also inform some of this other stuff that we're dealing with now too. Absolutely. And I I love that for the simple fact that as I read this book, I didn't anticipate coming across new information. And I don't mean that in any sort of insulting sure. way or whatever, but but I, I read it with a great deal of excitement just because I respect who you are in your heart for 
not only ministry, but your heart for the things of God and for the people of God, universal, right? And there was one point in particular, and and I this is, is almost blew my mind, and I know it's going to resonate with a lot of people because I've shared it with other people, people I serve in ministry with, and everything, and and, and it was a real game changer. Where you spoke about <laughs> this one passage where Jesus says, "I am the bread of life," mm. and how it didn't really work in a particular context. Now, I'm being kind of cryptic right here because I don't know how much you're trying to give away. Um, <laughs> if you are willing to share just that insight and, and what they had to look like in that context, I think that would really help people here because I, I want to I talk about that for a bit, but not more than you're willing to give away. Yeah, right? no, I'm totally okay talking about it. So yeah, I mean, the longest chapter in the book is about the Bible, which is probably not surprising to anybody because I love to talk about the Bible. Yes. Um, and you know, in the conversation about inspiration and inerrancy, you know, there's a lot of defining and drawing of lines and it can get really blurry or dicey and we're not always comfortable with what that looks like. So Meredith Ann Miller, people who listen to this may be familiar with her. She's a pastor in California, but she also writes books and then helps people, you know, talk to their kids about Bible stories. And I was in a discussion group that she was leading on something else. And she was talking about how we talk about the Bible. And she told a story about some friends of hers who are Bible translators. And she didn't say where, and that's not important, but that they don't have bread where they are. That's just like not a part of their culture. They don't have it. They don't make it. So if you were to say Jesus is the bread of life, that literally means nothing to them. They have no idea what bread is. And so we then have to go, okay, well, what does that mean? And it means it was a sustaining thing. It was, a you know, something that carried people that, you know, fed them, that kept them going. That was really a big central part of their diet and their lives. And they're like, oh, well, they have something like that. It's a sweet potato. And so in their Bible, Jesus is the sweet potato of life because that makes sense to them. And so when we talk about inerrancy, it gets really easy to talk about like original autographs and like typos and errors and like all these really nitty gritty things. Um and we sort of lose the perspective on what we're actually trying to do. And I think what we're actually trying to do is capture intention. And, you know, whether you would say that's an author's intention or God's intention or where the lines are in all of those things, you know, I think that is a whole other conversation. But if what we're talking about is then what is the intent of the idea, right, in in scripture. And then how do we take that and then apply that to our lives? And that was a really great story, I thought, just because it helped really put into like a practical way how I sort of like think about the Bible and how I think other people should, because it matters how we apply these ideas, but we have to get what the main idea is before we can even do that. Yeah. And I love that so much. The reason I brought that particular quote up, the way it resonated with me, I literally, as I was reading that, I gasped. I gasped and I had to take a break and put the book down because that right there is the miracle of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. Like if we fail to grasp that, then we miss what Christianity as we recognize it is all about. Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes and the miracle isn't that everybody then understands the same language is that the people who had been touched by Jesus were able to speak in languages they had not known 
the things of Jesus and the truth of Jesus. The Holy Spirit enabled them to speak in new languages, right? And anybody who is is, is a linguophile or a multilingual understands that languages don't have one-to-one equivalents. So you just even giving that concrete example, something that like even me knowing that about languages, like you, you know a, a bit about what I do in the, the translation podcast and everything, yeah. and just putting that in there. Um, so you know, like right there, that that juiced me up. But I'm thinking, like I, I've never thought about that. If you don't have bread in your diet or whatever, Jesus being the bread of life is not good news to you. So right. if the gospel is like universal, if 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 it can if it's good news there, then Jesus has to be something that they need. And when I sat there reflecting on that very reality, like putting that lens on as I read through that book brought so much more into focus as we're sitting through what it means to navigate an untidy faith and the fact like, look, like Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But what that looks like, what that sounds like is going to vary based upon how you experience the world. Mm, and that's yeah. not a matter of, I guess, the the relativism that people try to scare us about. It's a fact of yeah. reality, the fact that people are going to experience life differently. And I, I would love to to talk about how that like understanding and that realization based upon like what what I know of you and everything and and, and where our paths have intersected despite our, our different origin stories <laughs> and everything. How much that, and then you even spoke about a little bit as, as the book transformed, but that reality of people's different situations and locations undergirded it. Because I think that's like a major theme of the book, even the, the passport theme, where the reality of people experiencing life differently around the world factors into how you now have to understand and navigate your faith. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the whole thing like um <laughs> yeah yeah so basically just, just read your whole book now is what i'm asking yeah you. i like, mean that's yeah, it the whole thing yeah so what started often like i said when i was talking about how the idea of the book transformed was sort of getting this idea or here i'll use this example because it's not really in the book but it's one of the more obvious examples for me in my life is women in ministry okay i was your normal like toe the line Southern Baptist girl who, even despite my own gifts and potentially calling towards something of that nature, just was like, no, can't do it. I'm not going to like, I know the rules, right? God doesn't want someone like me talking to people who aren't women. That's just, that's just how it is. Right. Fast forward to, you know, landing in Southeast Asia and the people who've believed the longest for like a decade are women and they're the ones who are leading the church because they're the more mature believers. So like I had a conversation with someone at church and they were talking about, they were intentionally stirring the pot around this topic. But one thing they said is like, yeah, if a woman teaches in mixed company, that's she's, sinning like automatically. And I was like, man, I just can't, I can't, I maybe, maybe this is the stubbornness in me, but I like refuse (laughs) to believe that these women who are insanely faithful and because by nature of them being women and being mature believers who are leading other people and some of those people happen to be men, like that that's sinful just because they're women. And that just sort of like, I had to start then re-examining at least that aspect because 
I just, I, I would, I would not call them unfaithful. I just couldn't like in my heart of hearts, I could not do that. And so I had then sort of stumbled upon like Carolyn Custis James, and she talks a lot about the role of women in ministry and women in churches and, and the world even. And she talked about how we need a global conversation because the Bible is a global book. And I was like, oh, okay. So if it's biblical, it has to be global. Like this is now my filter for everything because it's like, if now the way that will translate, right, will be different. But Whatever the core principle is, if it doesn't work everywhere, like in every context, across time and space, like then it doesn't work. And it can't be this eternal truth if it doesn't even work everywhere here. Right. And so it's not that I'm ignoring or even being super stubborn. It's just that I think God actually, you know, intended like the message of Jesus and the church to be global and to be, you know, until the end of time. And so what does it look like then to be willing to put that filter over it and go like, okay, well, what are we actually saying? And would that work here in this situation? And would it work here in this situation? And I think instead we try to do a lot of exceptions, like, well, it's okay if this or this, but it's like, then those all just become like arbitrary and weird. And I feel like God is actually very intentional. And so once that sort of like shifted, that sort of became the lens that I put over everything. Absolutely. If this theology or if this action or if this whatever, you know, looks different somewhere else, is there space for that? And what does it look like to have space in what I believe for that to be faithful because I believe it to be faithful because of the fruit it's bearing. And so there's like a, it, yeah, it sort of feels like circular logic in a way. And maybe it is. And, you know, you can accuse me of eisegesis or whatever. I don't care. But I just sort of got to a point where I, I couldn't like what I believe is the Holy spirit in me wouldn't let me call something unfaithful that was actually faithful. And so, yeah, I mean, I had to I retool that. everything. I love that. We all need more I don't care energy in my life, uh, in our lives. We, we need that. That's, that's necessary. And I, I love it. Even as you talk about navigating this call on your life and everything, I think it's interesting. We all know the passages that people bring up to support a very hard complementarian, as they'll call it, mm-hmm. position and everything. But I always think it's funny if the logic is that a woman can't instruct a man. Matthew chapter 28, verse 10, one of the first things that the risen Jesus does is tell women to go tell the men what to do, right? He says, right, tell, yeah. tell my brothers to meet me in Galilee. I'm like, okay, well, how, how does this work? And I, just the very fact that even if you view it as as out of necessity, as was the case in the, the illustration that you gave us from Southeast Asia, the reality is it was the women who came searching for Jesus and came to to serve Jesus even after his crucifixion and burial. And it was the women that Jesus sent to deliver the message and to instruct Jesus' followers on what to do in light of his resurrection, because mm-hmm. they, they were the ones that were there. And I think it's funny then, and I'm not aware of too many church contexts, particularly here in the West, globally to my knowledge, but particularly here in the West, where women do not compose the majority of the the the, yeah. the congregations in the community, so to say the like, oh no, y'all can't be here. Well, they're the ones who keep showing up. They're the ones who are serving Jesus. It's always right. funny to because, me. 
Yeah, I mean, because there's also, which is why like this whole biblical manhood thing is such a big deal for them, because it's a way of getting more men in church, when, right. which is so backwards. But yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Oh, I know I saw you mentioned <laughs> the other day on, on, on one of your socials about how a a friend of yours and an old time friend uh, mentioned that they were excited about your book. And you mentioned that uh, you suspect that they might be disappointed with where this book led them or where this book ended up. Can you talk about what that is like for you knowing your, your, your origin story, if you will, your, your backgrounds, your formation, what that was like and any tension that you might carry about, what this book means for you and, and, and the communities that help shape you. Yeah. Um, in some ways it's really easy, like, because I have been processing this for years and even a lot of those communities I'm not as attached to in my everyday life anymore. So there is more like social distance, if you will, um, between us, which in some ways makes it a little easier but it is sort of like once I knew that I was starting to talk about my book on Facebook, I was like, oh, man, there are going to be people who are like, yay, she wrote a book. She's always wanted to do that. And then they're going to buy it <laughs> and then, then they're going to read it. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, if I'm talking about, you know, the end times and the kingdom of God and Christian nationalism and how you know, some missions is tied up with white supremacy. Like these are things that are really not going to make them very happy. And so um, it is sort of like, it's a very weird feeling. Now I am, I feel, um, I feel like I tried to a be very reasonable in my approach and B to also be kind of, I mean, I think I am probably kind of hard on some of that only because I felt because of the emotions that I felt discovering other points of view or other options or, you know, even landing in other places over time. But I know there may be some tricky conversations (laughs) in the future and just sort of like being prepared. And I think that's part of the other thing is one of my sort of mottos is like, thick skin, soft heart, sure voice. And so anything that I sort of put out in the world, like whether that's on social media or especially in a book, I want to be very confident that that is my conviction and that is something that I can stand behind and beside and then trust that I will be able to handle the conversations as they come up and to do that graciously. Because I do think and this is where I differ from some people. Like I, I understand that some of these th- theologies are very harmful, and they come and they result in harmful things and harm being done. But I also know that a lot of people aren't participating in that harm intentionally. I don't think the people I know, most of them, are doing their best to be faithful and practicing the faith that was handed down to them. And though my faith looks different, I want to be able to engage with them, believing them to be in good faith, and hopefully they'll make that same assumption of me. Um, and Absolutely. they may not. Uh, that has also been my experience. Sometimes they just don't, and that's something that you know we'll have to deal with at the time. But I think it's, yeah, I think that there's going to be. 
if nothing else, I want people to be aware that there are other ideas and that there are other ways of being faithful in the same way that they're trying to be faithful. These things can be too. And that maybe some of our ideas have harmful places that they came from. And how can we, again, disentangle those things to find something that remains true, maybe even to the intent of the theology without being tangled up in all of these things. And so at the very least, I hope everyone feels like they have permission to, yeah, pull apart some of those pieces, even if they don't land in the same place as I do. Most definitely. I think one of the things that I very much appreciated about the book, first and foremost, I couldn't help but read it in your voice. Like I, I felt like I was reading a, a, a long episode of Happy and Holy, right? Um, <laughs> Good. It, I, I don't know if y'all talked about it. Maybe this is an offline question, but are, are you doing an audio book? Uh, it's not in okay. the plan right okay. now, but if there's enough demand, so if you guys want it, <laughs> okay, you should That's tell my publisher. <laughs> yeah, we, we're gonna tell them, and then we're gonna tell them. We want you to do it too, because I, I read it in your voice, and I think I think the people deserve that privilege. Uh, <laughs> uh, but at the same time, there was a pastoral sensitivity that you brought to the text, and I say that because. I've read books uh, trying to navigate some of these topics, and it feels as though people are trying to take a sledgehammer to some of these things. Which, to be clear, I'm 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 with it. I'm about that life. Like sometimes yeah. we need to. Sometimes but a sledgehammer also, is, is called for. <laughs> right, but I also <laughs> recognize that there are certain environments where me and my sledgehammer will not be welcome, right? Where so, mm-hmm. somebody's going to need to bring a, a, a chiseling tool and, and some other things and, and kind of walk through that thing. And I I really appreciate the fact that at no point did it feel like you were unraveling for the sake of unraveling. Like you you weren't mm-hmm. being destructive for the sake of it, but as you said, trying to, to disentangle, right? Detangle. Yeah. And, um, I think of it like a mother doing uh, a child's hair, right? And as they wash it, mm-hmm. they they're not separating the the tangled hair just to be cruel to the child. Just wait a second. Like if I, if I go through this, it's going to be better for you, right? Like this is going to help you um, in in this process. And I think that you handle that in a very gentle way, because at the end of the day, there are a lot of people who are just trying their best to be faithful. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it is hard to see other ways of being faithful when all we have is what we've seen. Right. One of the cool things that, especially as you explained the original idea for the book and what ended up happening, I think there's this amazing parallel there where they say that travel is the best way to like open your mind and everything. Um, And that's still true in many cases. But one of the things that, I think the pandemic exacerbated was the fact that technology also offers us an avenue to connect with other people, other ways of thinking that we never have considered based on our own like limited networks. Right. Um, And I think that you hold that reality very well and, and, and shepherding people through that as somebody who is like, look, I I'm, I'm very familiar with this, these ways of thinking and everything, but I've also encountered this, and so I'm wondering if 
what, what is that an accident or an intentional thing in which you literally shepherd people like you steward people through this journey it's almost like you 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 kind of trick people into being pastored through there did, did you do that on purpose <laughs> <laughs> yes and no i mean i think um i don't know that i constructed it that way but that was sort of something that i i want that's a heart that i wanted to bring to the whole thing i didn't want people to feel like i wanted people to feel like they weren't alone. I wanted people to feel like, you know, if they're feeling a disconnect, that there may be a good reason why, that there are lots of different ways to approach things and that we can that we can sort of like walk through all of this stuff. And so I wanted to be very sensitive to how people were thinking or even give them space to like figure out what it was that may have been similar or different from my experience. And I think the other part is I know that it is like a wild privilege that I even got to do all of this stuff. And that had I not had that opportunity that I might be where they are now. And how would I want someone to talk to me about these things or talk me through some of this stuff? And so I really just kind of started each chapter in my head. I outlined it and I for myself as like, there's a tangle, there's a truth and there's a takeaway. And that's really like, I just wanted to like, have help people see the tangle, see where it came from or or where it's gotten us and what might be a better way based on the text and then what can we then do about it or how does that change how I feel or how I walk through the world as a follower of Jesus. And so I sort of wanted it to I wanted to be able to nudge people along if that's what they need, but I also wanted them to feel like they weren't the only ones in the room going through the thing. And so if nothing else, they could sit on, sit with it and say, you know, I feel some of those things. Maybe I'm not where she is, but at least I know that there is also hope for getting through this and, and still being a part of this thing that I've loved for a lot of my life, which I think is a challenge too, because there's a lot of people who will say you need to sort of get to X place or you didn't really deconstruct or disentangle or whatever. And so I think a lot of people feel torn even about staying connected to Christianity at all. And so I wanted to make sure that they knew that there is more than one expression and that in the end, Jesus is better. (laughs) And that we, even if our faith looks different, that we can still cling to that. And so that's really what I wanted to leave people with. Yeah, I love that so much that honestly, I don't even I feel like it would be inappropriate of me to ask any more questions because I think (laughs) no, I'm dead serious. I feel feel as though that is um, (laughs) what needs to drive people towards exploring this because I was deeply moved by what you shared in that book, by how you ministered from your location, but so faithfully stewarded the stories of all of these people of God that you've encountered along the way who have helped show you more of God's own fullness. I think that is a beautiful thing. I think that that is the attitude and the posture that will continue to transform and purify the church. And I think that is how the world moves towards a a more sustainable oneness. And I think a lot of that 
expressly because you put language to the thoughts that rattle around um, the disheveled minds of people like my, myself, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited about uh, untidy faith making its way into people's hands and Kindles and all that stuff uh, around the world. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad that it seems to have hit the notes that I was going for. And so it means a lot to hear you say that. So I'm excited for people to get it too, because I hope it helps. I think we're there. Thank you so much for joining our discussion today. I hope that you got as much out of it as we always do from these conversations. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player to help more people find the show and learn along with us. And don't forget to find and follow us on social media. All our links are in the show notes. And I can't wait until we see you next time. Bye-bye.